News Talk 1110-993-WBT, The Pete Callender Show, the number 704-570-1110, or if you are so inclined, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com, which reminds me, I should probably open up that email account. And so I have it on the screen here <laughs> because I haven't had it. on. The- oh, here we go. Pete, your pronunciation is correct. Elon. Elon Musk. Okay, good. So it was the national reporter who was wrong. Uh, Twitter will self-immolate before it allows Musk to take control, which is fine by me. Much like many of our institutions, none of these platforms are salvageable. They must be destroyed, and then better things can come about in the aftermath. I'm not sure that's guaranteed uh, or even possible or likely, uh, but we shall see. I have been using Twitter for a very long time. We're talking about Elon Musk and the fight for the control of Twitter. And they just announced that uh, they have adopted what is being dubbed the poison pill. It will um, it's called the uh, limited duration shareholder rights plan, or as I like to call it, the LDSRP. Uh, As it is explained to me by a rando on Twitter. If Elon Musk buys more than 15% of Twitter, then every additional share that he buys, people on the board and the major shareholders can buy for a discount per extra share that Elon buys. So if he buys a million shares more than 15%, they can buy a million more shares and pay less. That's the deal. That's the way... So. As he, tre- as he keeps trying to amass more, an equal number of shares go out into the market, except they're devalued. Even more so than the fact that, I mean, this is like an inflationary thing too, right? There's a tie in here to our currency. There's an analogy, right? Very similar. You keep flooding more and more. So Elon could essentially destroy the company just by simply buying more and more shares, prompting them to put more and more shares out into the market and... People buying them for less and less, driving down the price, right? But also the idea there is that it prevents him from taking control of more than 15% of the company. And it does make you wonder at some point, what's the real value here of Twitter, right? What exactly are they fighting to protect these shareholders, these people who own the company, bought shares in Twitter, and now you got a guy coming in saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to cash you guys out. I'm going to pay you 50% more than the shares were worth before I even bought any. So you're getting a premium, right? You're getting extra money, and I'm going to go take the company private. If you're a shareholder, what is the actual value that you're assigning to your shares, and to the company. That's what has become, uh, that's what's become evident, is that it's not really about the, uh, the governance of the company. It's not about the value of the share. Sean Davis, the founder of the Federalist.com, he says, they will burn the global regime's censorship engine to the ground before they allow Elon Musk to look under the hood. Exactly. That's what this is about. It's a propaganda machine. 
That's what Twitter has become. And Facebook, the big tech companies, that's these the, the social media platforms. And I'm not saying, and by the way, propaganda exists. This isn't a conspiracy theory. Right? It, it, some people call it narratives. That's fine. It advances certain narratives. And all the big tech companies are aligned. Their employee base is generally aligned politically. And so the cultural elites dictate the narrative. They ban people who, uh, who get too close to amassing enough of a following to disrupt that narrative. And Elon Musk is a disruptor. That's what he does. Did it in the automotive industry. Did it with the space industry. Now he's doing it in big tech. Because Twitter is disrupted. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. Uh, Oren McIntyre says, This isn't a financial transaction. It's a battle for one of the regime's major arteries of propaganda, and they know it. They know it. That's why this fight is now starting to look like it does. That's why you got the Saudi prince coming in and saying, We reject Elon Musk's offer of the premium price where he said he wanted to buy up all of the shares. He would he would buy everybody out for more than the shares is uh, shares were worth. Um, do, do, hang on a second. Let me go to, here it is. This is from Zero Hedge. Having surged higher on Elon Musk's initial bid, Twitter shares have now plunged back to earth and erased all the day's gains as investors either A, take profits on Musk-driven spikes or dump the stock in anticipation of the board's rejection and the subsequent liquidation of Musk's holdings. Saudi Prince Al-Walid rejected Musk's offer, saying, quote, I don't believe that the proposed offer by Elon Musk comes close to the intrinsic value of Twitter given its growth prospects. So $54 a share... 5420, uh, that that doesn't even come close to the intrinsic value of Twitter. Really? Because I, I thought this, the stock price has been kind of flatlining for a while. It's been stagnant. It's not like it's some, you know, juggernaut. It's not like it's one of Musk's, you know, SpaceX rockets. It, it probably, it, I mean, it, so what you're saying is that what? The Twitter shares right now where they're like $30 or something, and he offered 50-something, and that 54.20, that that's too low? Well, what does that say about its stock right now? What's going on where the stock is so undervalued? Oh, by the way, are you – is this illegal under SEC? Because now what happens if you try to make any moves? Are you sending messages? Because that they got all over Musk about doing that. So here's the Saudi prince who says – being one of the largest and long-term shareholders of Twitter, I reject this offer. The Saudi prince apparently owns 5.2%. Um, Glenn Greenwald, if the, if the success of your political movement, your national ambitions, or your wars depends upon the need to censor dissent and silence your adversaries, that's a pretty strong indication that you have zero confidence in the beliefs you want to propagate, probably for a good reason. So... Uh, they did have a uh, an all-hands meeting of Twitter employees. <laughs> uh, this would have been, we'll hold an all-hands at 2, oh, two o'clock. They're doing an all-hands meeting to discuss Elon Musk's offer 
uh, to purchase the social media platform. That's going to happen at 2 o'clock today. Musk did respond to uh, – oh, no, I'm sorry. I take it back. This is uh, – that was yesterday. So Musk did respond to the TED talk yesterday he, or at the TED talk. He responded to the uh, Saudi prince. Sorry, I'm just reading this. And the guy, he, he bolds all sorts of stuff that's confusing. Anyway, zerohedge.com. Uh, Musk said in response to the rejected offer, he said he has a plan B. Um, and he was aware that the, the, there was efforts on the part of the board to do this poison pill thing. Um, Elon Musk responds to Saudi Prince Al-Walid bin Talal, perhaps best known for being held under hotel arrest five years ago until he pledged his allegiance to the new Saudi royal family and liquidating much, if not all, of his assets in the process. But anyway, um, the Saudi billionaire, or millionaire, nobody really knows, said that he uh, doesn't believe that the proposed offer by Musk comes close to the intrinsic value. Um, He did not reveal what he thought that would be. But... um, a quick look at the largest shareholders did not reveal either Bin Lal or Bin Talal or Kingdom Holdings as a major shareholder, which was not lost on Musk, who yesterday evening decided to take his hostile feud with holdout shareholders like Talal, went on to Twitter and roasted the Saudi with just two questions. How much Twitter does Bin Talal own currently and... Then he made a reference to Saudi Arabia's legendary freedom of speech. Because that's not what the Saudis are all about. So this is now unfolding on the Twitter platform and in the boardroom. And you've got the all hands meeting. And it is very, very instructive. The people that are coming out against free speech and against Elon Musk's efforts in the private market. It's very instructive. We'll get to that in a minute. I will get to that piece of advice, by the way, from Shant Mesrobian to Elon Musk. I just realized I forgot to pay it off. Well, because the Twitter board met and they did the poison pill and I got distracted. I'm sorry. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the show. What's going on? Hey, Pete. Hey. Yeah, uh, Elon's, uh, boy, he really gets my attention. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you followed his uh, rocket uh down in Boca Chica, that news, but the government's hitting on him right now, environmentally and permits, and so Elon just decided, well, I'm going to launch my next, uh, the big rocket he's trying to develop, back to Cape Canaveral, Cape Kennedy, whatever they call it now, and so uh, Elon just gets up and swings at the system every day. He reminds me of Trump in that regard. And I know you don't like Trump, and a whole lot of people out there don't like Trump. But the one thing I admire about Trump is he gets up and he swings at him. Absolutely. I I agree. He is. That's why I said Musk is a disruptor. And I understood when people when people said about Trump that, you know, he fights. That's what they're talking about. Like you said, he takes a swing. And that's notable. Warren Buffett is a big fan of what Musk is doing. He's he's like. He's watching. He's like, this is what America is about. Like, this is a guy who made all this money, and now he is disrupting yet another industry. And that's what America is supposed to be about. And, and, and Pete, the, the federal government, the bureaucracy, is such an immovable object. I mean, it's the biggest organization in the world. 
we, the world has never seen an organization like the U.S. government. And I've, I've said that no moral, no regular moral politician or individual can take it on. It's got to be somebody Martian, extra, extra <laughs> being, or a, a Trump, uh, uh, an Elon Musk type that gets up to confront the system these days. Well, and you uh, so, are you aware now? Also, yesterday came out uh, that uh, they are the SEC. And uh, I believe DOJ is now looking into Elon Musk and his uh, his uh, his operations and things he has said. So he's yeah, I mean, he's opening himself up for the same kind of uh, probing that Trump did. But 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 he struck a nerve with me, Pete, in that uh, Facebook, Twitter, the social media system as we know it was almost 89% against Trump in the last election. Mm-hmm. It was so obvious, mm-hmm. even taking his site down. Well, the, so, yeah, this is the point uh, that Sean Davis was making. This is a, uh, the, the platforms engage in narrative crafting, if you want to call it that, or propaganda, if you will. It is, it is the censorship arm of the cultural and political elites that's why they're so freaking out about what Musk is doing. Because think about what Musk just said. He's All he's saying is this can be the global platform for free speech. And that has prompted this kind of reaction. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it extremely fascinating. And it, it, uh, it, we're talking about freedom for just everyday citizens in the end, Pete, right. what we're talking about. Yeah. And I don't know how the everyday citizen can, can even start to confront a D.C. swamp anymore. I don't know how you do it. Jim, I appreciate the call, buddy. Happy you Easter bet. to you. Yeah, have a great weekend. And uh, if you want to weigh in like Jim just did, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. That's Coldplay. Could be any one of their songs, though. Because they all kind of sound the same. Um, all right, so I, I mentioned this piece earlier. It's Inquire is the name of the e-newsletter. It's written, uh, I think, by a couple different people. But this one is by Shant Mesrobian, is his name. And uh, he recommends Elon Musk, uh, if he's able to take over Twitter... He recommends that uh, he hire a bunch of people to do the exact opposite of what is already occurring inside the ranks there. He says um, that these big tech companies have basically, uh, they've been given unprecedented power and influence. And Twitter's one of the big tech that we're talking about here. Um, And the people who go to work for these companies, it's not out of some desire to be, you know, part of uh, a growing and successful company or producing new in- innovations. It's about joining something of a ministry of culture, almost an elite institution where the best and brightest can impose and enforce their benighted classes, enlightened and progressive values over the country's media, culture, and politics. In its most potent form, these activities are concentrated and institutionalized at tech companies in the form of safety and misinformation departments tasked with censoring and imposing speech controls 
using extremely arbitrary standards that seem to change day to day based on the fleeting partisan ideological and electoral context of the moment. And so Mesrobian says what Musk should do if he gets control is hire a group of people whose job is to do the exact opposite. In other words, if there are employees at Twitter whose job, either formally or informally, is to look for any reason to ban users and censor information, then there should also be employees whose job is to look for any excuse to defend the free speech of users and combat the censorship of news and information. It would be an intentional invitation of a counterinsurgency made up of people who are every bit as zealously dedicated to defending speech rights and press freedoms as many current employees are to the social justice causes and misinformation anxieties. And so by design, this free speech department would exist in an overt tension with those who are trying to protect the safety of users and combating you know, misinformation where everything is Russia, Russia, Russia. Part of the reason for this is that just as your HR director was literally trained to spread the gospel of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, anyone whose job is to protect user safety or combat misinformation is likely to have come straight out of the social justice madrasa. But perhaps the biggest reason is that censorship today largely relies on social pressure and shaming and mob intimidation. It works because nearly everybody, to some degree, is sensitive to these tactics. So what you're going to need to find is people who are indifferent to the mob. In other words, you got to have an understanding and a commitment to civil liberties, free speech, press freedoms. But these free speech counterinsurgents, they're going to also have to demonstrate a track record of not caring. I think I, I, think I have just found the perfect job. For this Gen Xer, if this radio thing doesn't work out and Musk takes over and takes this guy's advice, uh, might be moving to Silicon Valley. Although Musk said he was going to turn Twitter headquarters into a homeless shelter. So, <laughs> which <laughs> I don't know if he's trolling them or not on that. But Censorship and the curtailing of speech happens as a result of pressure and intimidation and specifically the kind that is internally exerted directly onto CEOs and top executives as well. So it's not just the users that are um, that are susceptible to being swayed by the by the mob. The social justice warriors need some healthy competition so that the heat of the mob can at least be somewhat redirected away from top leadership and instead funneled into a team of rivals dynamic within the companies. Only then can these fights cease being a referendum on the personal virtues of one tech company CEO. Again, that is uh, highlights from Inquire. It's an uh, emailed newsletter written by Shant Mesrobian. And that one's titled, One Suggestion I Have for Twitter's Possible Future Owner, Elon Musk. This then, um, this gets to uh, another piece here by Jonathan Haidt, and I'm going to go over that in the next hour. Uh, it was in the Atlantic the other day. A lot of people uh, were retweeting it and, you know, oh, make sure you read this. And I did. And it is heavily highlighted. And you know me, I'm a over-highlighter already, but um, he, he raises a lot of good points, and, and I think he accurately describes 
sort of where we are. Um, the headline on that is why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. So, uh, and I firmly uh, agree with that. Max Boot, speaking of stupid, um, Max Boot, he writes at the Washington Post, which, as I understand it, is owned by a big tech billionaire who, until Elon Musk just surpassed him, was the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, right? Didn't he buy the Washington Post? What about Ted Turner owning CNN? We have a problem with that one? No, all of a sudden we're supposed to believe like our democracy is going to fail because Elon Musk bought 9% of Twitter. Max Boot says, I woke up Thursday morning to the news that Elon Musk, the world's richest troll, wants to buy Twitter, one of the world's most influential social media platforms. So I went on Twitter and I wrote, quote, I am frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media, anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. I think I captured the sentiment there. The hyperbolic reaction was a sight to behold. So that's Max Boot noting the hyperbole used in response to his hyperbole. Seriously, really? Elon Musk buying 9% or even acquiring the entire company, which, by the way, when it started out, was a free speech forward looking company with Jack Dorsey. And it was privately owned. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember those days not that long ago. And then, of course, they forced Jack Dorsey out and then they brought him back. And then he was like, this place is crazy. And he then uh, retired. There is way too much nonsense online, Max Boot says. Too much name-calling, too much dishonesty, too many conspiracy theories. I don't like it. Hey, here's an idea, Max. Delete your freaking account. How about that? Just delete your account. Look, I have lots of interactions on Twitter. A lot of engagement, like millions. Like, that's my impression levels. Like, I don't know how they do those metrics. I don't really care. And I'm not doing that like humble brag or anything. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm pointing out I have a lot of interactions with people. And by and large, for the vast majority of the interactions, they are positive or they are not threatening and they're not like this trollish stuff. That's not to say I've never been trolled. I absolutely have. But here's the thing. You can block people. You can mute people. And I highly recommend you create lists. There are tools. If if your user experience is so terrible that you're being driven into depression and anxiety, you're not using the tools that are provided on Twitter or you just don't have, you don't have the mental stuff, the grit, the determination. You just don't have whatever it is that, you know, put people into space. You don't have it. Max, you don't have it. Take your fedora, exit stage left. Go find another platform. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Max Boot says that Elon Musk is the last person who should take over Twitter. The notion that content moderation is fascism or something is typical of the inanities that pervade social media. If this were true, it would mean the U.S. was under fascist rule when I was growing up in the 80s. Because back then, most people got their news from a daily newspaper or one of three major TV networks. And all of them employed editors who would have... Never run the kind of wild-eyed claims that have become a mainstay on social media. 
Okay, uh, Max, uh, there is a difference between user-generated content and corporate-owned newsroom-generated content. What is he pining for? Listen, think about what he's pining for. Fewer gatekeepers is what he wants. He wants to, like, he's, he's talking about the days when all the information was filtered through certain publications and broadcasts, that there was some control. Now, this gets to what Jonathan Haidt was talking about in his piece at The Atlantic. We'll do that in the next, uh, uh, the next hour. That when you lose the sense of shared reality, there are downsides. And I agree with that, by the way. But Twitter is user-generated content. Yes, there are journalists on the site. And there are also regular people, random people that are not journalists on the site. And what he is saying is that Twitter darn right needs to moderate the content. Absolutely. He says it's no coincidence that politics was saner and less polarized in those days. I do find it interesting that he's making an analogy with what? Publishers. So Twitter is a publisher? He says that Elon Musk engages in online bullying and traffics in hyperbole and outrage. Because we all know news organizations don't do that at all, right? Again, nobody buys a newspaper with the little kid on the corner screaming, absolutely nothing happened today, read all about it. Nobody buys that newspaper. Nobody watches the newscast if the promo says, nothing happened today. We don't really have anything to talk about. Only good news. No, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's sex, it's next. There's a reason the axiom exists. This wasn't just made up as a smear against media companies. It's done because media traffics in panic and fear. That's what corporate media has been doing for literally centuries. You ever heard of the Spanish-American War? Up until, what, a couple of years ago, we were still paying a tax on telephones to pay for that thing. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we weren't paying for that war. That was what it was sold as. They threw that tax on it. Anyway, Max Boot is so concerned about whatever Elon Musk's takeover bid means, not just for Twitter, but for our embattled democracy. Anyone who thinks the problem with social media is too much content moderation rather than too little should not own one of the most powerful platforms online. There are ways to do stuff. There are ways around this. Like, for example, how about how about you take out the bots? Why hasn't Twitter done that? That's a pretty simple thing to do. You find these bots and there are private platforms. I've been to the sites like you can find and check people's accounts to see are these real followers or not. And you can weed out the bots. You can block them when all they're doing is amplifying stuff and sharing stuff. Yeah, you can find them and block them. Absolutely. It's your platform. You can do that. Why don't they? Why don't they do that? Hmm. It's almost like they want there to be narrative crafting and dissemination, right? Um, David Arsani over at National Review, he read Max Boots' uh, Pearl Clutching. Uh, 
who, you know, he said, I'm frightened by the impact uh, on society and politics. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. He says, first off, who's we? <laughs> who's this we? There is no grand we in a pluralistic open society engaged in debate. No, you. He wants content moderation. And maybe the inability or refusal to comprehend this obvious fact is the root philosophical problem with all of those who say they're frightened by unmoderated political speech. If democracy means small L liberalism, then Max Boot would be defending free expression as a neutral value, not just a principle upheld by law. But these days, democracy often amounts to little more than majoritarian bullying. That's what they want. When they say democracy, that's what they're talking about. And content moderation is little more than an effort to control political discourse. He says Orwellian is such an overused term, but the word, uh, but what word better sums up the democracy defender's view of speech, right? Because for boot, democracy's future is always hanging in the balance. It depends on shutting down dissent or holding on to unilateral one-party rule or ensuring an ideological monopoly over major cultural institutions. For democracy to survive, Democrats must federalize elections. Democrats are the only ones allowed to gerrymander, and Republicans must be stopped from in, uh, implementing curriculum in schools. For democracy to survive, we must squash any deviation from the dominant view. Yeah, that's Orwellian, all right.